0: It's your What's, up? What's up?
1: Welcome. We are presenting another episode of CPS. Cruel public schooling. It is the middle ground between unrest and discipline, between injustice and corruption and it lies between the pit of a student's fears and the summit of their knowledge uh, you. this is the dimension of education it is an area which we call the cruel public schooling <laughs> a dimension that intends to scrutinize the CPS system through its core from a student's eyes <laughs>
0: Hey guys, welcome back and remember you are listening to Cruel Public Schooling, a segment where we talk about any corruptions or any relevant thing that is happening towards CPS and you know this segment is more for you know black and brown students or just parents, teachers and students from CPS and again I am your host Melissa for the show and right now this is episode 3 of season 2 of Cruel Public Schooling, just the whole premise of this segment or episode right now is an interview with Stacey Davis-Gates, who is the vice president for Chicago's Teachers Union, and the whole premise of this interview is just her opinion on remote learning and just talk about more of a conversation of CPS and just the changes or downfalls or whatever improvements CPS has done. Just specifically on that, I really enjoyed that interview. I felt like it was a really nice interview just to see the changes CPS has done and just kind of the lack of... The lack of help that CPS does, like the lack of funding or help or whatever necessity that CPS has like claimed to do and how it's kind of ruined a lot of things. But yeah, just more in the conversation of like remote learning and how in-person learning is going to look like and if it's really safe or. You know, necessary. You know, so definitely, I did enjoy a lot this conversation. I felt like it was a very important thing to 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 have. It was like right now, since CPS is kind of making their decisions right now, there's not really a, a lot of like, you know representation in that sense. And you know, it's just a good reminder of encouraging how how voicing out your opinions, even if you're a parent or a student, it's really important and extremely relevant towards now and and just like the importance of unions right now so I definitely did enjoy this interview a lot I felt like I did learn a lot and I just felt like it's really important specifically right now when like drastic decisions are are being made but other than that I mean ranting um let's just listen to the interview and you know we'll play it right now
2: I'm Stacey davis Gay. I am a failing mother with three children in remote learning. Um, a husband that doesn't get the time that he needs and I also am the Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union and a high school history teacher.
0: Awesome. And just going on to more CTU stuff, like what does the CTU do specifically?
2: Um, the CTU, what do we do specifically? I think we are transforming the word union. Back in 2010, Karen Lewis, Jesse Sharkey, Christine Mailey and Michael Brunson um, and Jackson Potter basically staged a a coup. You know, it was a group of us teachers who were dealing with um, school closings, privatization. We were working in places where we knew that the school needed more. But the communities that surrounded the school needed even more. And we felt like the institution that we had available to us, our labor union, could be doing more, not just in fighting school closures, but in putting forth a vision for community, right? Because the school is a part, is a, is a microcosm of the larger community and then a part of the ecosystem of this entire city. That being said, Our union was absent for a while in the fights that we felt like mattered. And so in 2010, that group of people won leadership in our union. And our ultimate vision is to make sure that we are common good bargainer, that the time we spend at CTU, that the legacy that we leave is in a Chicago that prioritizes justice equity with respect to education, with respect to race um, and economics.
0: Okay, and just going on to the second question, it would be as as a teachers union, what is your goal for CPS? Um, our
2: goal is mainly to engage deeply with the folks that have the most skin in the game in the city, our students and their families. Um, I remember when I was teaching, I was a history teacher over at Clemente and Sally Hill was my immediate supervisor. And one of the things that she used to say is that if there are no students in the seats in your classroom, there's no you here. And her point was that we have to embrace our students, treat them well, and make sure that they know that they're in a safe place where they can achieve, where they can fail, and someone's there to pick them up, and that they can grow and develop. Now, I didn't know what that meant in my 20s. Certainly now, I know what it means even better is that our schools have to be stabilizing forces within communities that have been destabilized. Not every school, not every neighborhood in the city of Chicago needs a school to put duct tape around the poverty that's ravaging it, right? But there are some schools that do. Clemente was one of those schools. And that we, because we made a choice to teach there, that we had an added responsibility. And so I think the people who are in charge at CTU see that responsibility tenfold at this point, and that we have the resources and the people and the alliances and the ability to build coalitions that can bring that change about in larger, broader Chicago. So yes, we file grievances and we do grievance hearings. Yes, we bargain contracts. But yes, we are a part of a coalition of organizations and leaders that seek to make Chicago a place where the many can actually have an opportunity.
0: And um, just going more in specifics, like as a teacher and your time working with CPS, like what were the flaws you saw constantly CPS brought up? Arnie Duncan closed the first school
2: I taught at in Chicago, Inglewood. And I remember having a very emotional and traumatic experience as an educator at Englewood you know i taught history in there was like a refrigerator and a stove in my classroom what was it 308 or no 309 and i just remember how there were like multiple metal detectors that students would be coming through every day kind of like you would see at an airport And just the cops there and the security guards, there was a lot. And then to sit in the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, I think it was April or May of that school year, and hear him say that we're closing you down because test scores didn't meet the mark because y'all are a failing school. And I just started thinking about all of the things, all the ways that the district and the city have failed us. I started thinking about the irony of being in the Lorraine Hansberry Theater and listening to someone tell us that we are a failure. The idea of driving into the Englewood neighborhood and disregarding the vacant lots, disregarding the lack of infrastructure and investment. Like there wasn't even like Audi I don't even remember if Audi was there when I taught there Whole Foods certainly wasn't there when I taught there cuz I remember we would have potluck I would always forget we were having a potluck so it's like okay let me run out real quick on my plan period on my lunch hour and then how long it would take me to go to you know a place outside of the neighborhood that to buy something and bring back for a potluck and that was only because I was at work I didn't live there this was my reality every day so imagine someone with power and influence and leadership coming into the Lorraine Hansberry Theater and telling the people there that they had failed versus the obvious failures that government, that leadership had made over a course of generations. So I think I was radicalized in that moment. I think that I was failed in that moment. And I think it just reinforced the need to have a backbone. And to like, u- like use my teacher voice for the things that to, to to push back against the things that impeded our ability to see the type of school community that was necessary in that community. I think that that moment. But I also went to Clemente and had a bittersweet experience. I worked with like fantastic educators, right? I worked with people who you know, went above and beyond and then figured it out again. I worked with a woman who I call my mother in Chicago, who, you know, nurtured my my inexperience, allowed me to try and fail, called me on my shortcomings, but also supported me through my shortcomings. It, it was a good environment. And I grew, you know, as a, as a teacher, as an individual, I had great administrative support. And I also had an awesome team that I and they and we still keep in touch, right? But I had an awesome team of teachers that I dealt with. But there too, we had an impossible situation: infrastructure, multiple principals, you know, a destabilized leadership, or a declining enrollment. I started there; there were three thousand students. I don't even think there's a thousand students attending that school right now. Privatization around that area helped to marginalize that particular school you know i saw everything that could go right and everything that was deliberately being done wrong there as well
0: and just going on to you know canceling everything taking out like what are ways cps is now like representing teachers parents and students and are you content with that
2: oh god can we say discontent times a million you know this past summer I don't know, this pandemic is really a a particular type of situation to deal with just as a human. Then you add on the relentless coverage of uh, the murder of Black bodies by the state during the same time, and then you see the activation of young people across the world demanding justice, saying that Black Lives Matter, pushing back on the presumption that you can defund everything else except but for and then how that dovetail like in chicago in a way that i thought was beautiful you saw trans youth you saw black youth you saw gay youth or queer youth you saw all youth kind of just banded together in a way that should embarrass grown-ups really like i support it i think it's wonderful and i really am embarrassed as an adult that we are watching our children, our nieces and nephews, little cousins and so forth out there loving us and our society more than we've loved them, like taking this bold, courageous action. And then as a history teacher, I am also reminded that the transformations in this country in particular were always triggered by young people who did not have the blinders of a mortgage payment, a car payment, tuition um, repayment, blinding them from the realities of their world and locking them into paralysis or silence. So I was both like motivated, but then also embarrassed that why, why is a 16 year old out here like leading this thing? And why are we watching, right? How come we're not out there locking? arms with them the cops out of cps and to hear young people offer their be vulnerable offer their experiences and then provide demands and then give you a, re, a another vision of how it could work and then to hear grown-ups again blinded by their own baggage ignore it and then make excuses for their personal fear or their lack of courage come through And then we're now we're we're in a pandemic where we just heard our mayor and um, the head of her school district say, we don't care about positivity rates. We don't care about the number of people dying. We're going to open a school because equity. Even though we know that families of color in Chicago and all across this country said we express trepidation and they've expressed trepidation I think for many reasons, but two in particular. One, communities of color have had a particularly disparate experience with schooling from cops in schools and how it quickens the school-to-prison pipeline, the underfunding of schools by design and policy, the lack of support given to communities that need more. So that's the norm, pre-pandemic. And then within the pandemic, you have remote learning that doesn't reflect the reality of what people are experiencing in this moment. Every person is experiencing this pandemic and they're experiencing it in a myriad of ways. But if you're black and if you're a uh, Latino, you're experiencing it in personal ways. Like raise your hand if you know someone who died of COVID. Raise your hand if you know someone that's infected with COVID, right? Raise your hand if you've dealt with the emotions of COVID, raise your hand if someone in your family is still leaving their house every single day to work with the public, right? How many folks are working in nursing homes or in hospitals or in trains or in buses or somewhere essential, right? Grocery store and, and with the risk of COVID every single day. So to ignore that in how you design remote learning, to ignore that in how you reimagine a reopening in schools, to like minimize and stifle the voice of other people at a time where the only way we make it through this is together in coalition and acquiescing to our experiences, our collective experiences, and to not see them do that. Disappointing ain't even the word anymore. You know what I mean? There's another word and it ain't even infuriating Like my heart break that in a moment where we should be in lockstep in a moment where we have called for like black leadership and we have it, but they don't see black pain and black death in the same way. Yo, that is, that is not anything that feels good to go to sleep on every night. I have three kids in the Chicago public schools. I taught in the Chicago public schools. I understand what this thing is, right? have had up-close and personal experiences with COVID. This is nothing to laugh at or joke at, and we need more, not less. And right now, people are being backed into corners in ways that do not amplify leadership.
0: And, you know, just going more in depth with the conversation of COVID and how you brought this up, like, specifically, how do you feel about going back to school amidst a global pandemic? Has CPS offered any help for teachers, parents, or students? So the
2: only way that you go back in the middle of a pandemic is if you can assure, say, is if you can assure trauma support, if you can assure medical supports in school communities, if you can assure more, and they can't assure more. They haven't put more there. You can't expect the same level of resources and support in a pandemic. Everything that we are experiencing, everything that we are experiencing in this moment requires us to have more 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 and they have not presented half of more so that's one i think two is that teachers have the unenviable task of trying to imagine one how to do remote learning under the unsustainable like mandates that kind that, that come from the mayor and cpi now they have another albatross of figuring out how to do remote learning and in-person learning at the same time with this presumption that it could be done and it's just easy. Well, we're not superheroes and we ain't Jesus. We are like real human beings and that's all hard. And guess what too? We have children, we have families, we have parents and family members that we live with who have pre-existing conditions who are seniors we have real lives we're real people and so all of the impact are living in our households as well so i know that teachers are depersonalized as soon as they become a teacher they're just mrs or mr such and such and sometimes you don't realize that they're a real person until you see them in a grocery store or walking down the street after school well that's exactly how cps is acting as if you know we walk out of a phone booth every morning and we're there to save the world, you know? And that's not in this moment, you know? We've had real consequence. They're not guaranteeing safety. And I think lastly, the mayor and the school district have to come correct and tell us how many deaths they're willing to absorb from this, how many illnesses they're willing to absorb from this. Like we are in a pandemic, It is a fact that people will still get sick, and it is a fact that people will still die. We have seen the worst two days of COVID deaths since the pandemic started, yesterday and today. At the same time, they're saying we're reopening. Well, I think that means that they're okay with people dying and people getting sick. And if that is okay with them, then the next question is, is that okay with Chicago? Is that okay with parents? Is that okay with families? Is that okay with students? Is that okay with educators?
0: How are students represented in in CPS and do they do a good job in that? No, they're not
2: represented. And I think we saw that demonstrated uh, past summer with Cops out of CPS that was student led. It was an impressive campaign. It, It was like you saw when people talk about learning loss, I go, I probably can't cuss. I go because... The demonstration of how coalitions were built, how y'all organized, how there were specific demands, how it was clear to Ray Charles everything that you wanted to see in your school community, and then to be there there, you know, it was it was condescending, it was irreverent, it was it was ridiculous. You know, if people believe that our youth are the future and that we are going to leave our world to you, quite frankly, I feel good about it based on what I saw demonstrated. But I also feel we can't keep telling y'all no or wait or that ain't it because that gets to be a thing too, right? And if you don't have the right type of mentorship, you might say forget it and keep it moving and become even more detached from it. Like, you deserve to win when you won. You deserve to see your win when you won. And I believe that youth organizing against cops and CPS, you won, your facts were right, your demands were on point, you built the coalitions, you had it. The only way that, the, that they got their decision was because of mayoral control, because they could, not because it was righteous, not because the campaign was half-assed, not because of anything else except for their ability and power to say and do what they did. That was it.
0: What are ways in general CPS can improve now looking forward like five to 10 years?
2: I think that
0: we need an elected school board.
2: I think that, you know, however messy democracy is, it is necessary. So um, that's number one. I think number two, Um, Cops need to come out of CPS and we need to move social workers, counselors, librarians into our school communities that can offer our students, you know, what they need and meet their needs. Cops are still in the neighborhood. They just don't have to be in the school building. I also think that we need to create curriculum that is culturally relevant and put a priority on hiring people who, who get culturally relevant curriculum who practice anti-racist instruction and behaviors. I, you know, I don't know why the hell you would come into a school district that is overwhelmingly students of color and not be clear about uh, building power and practicing equity and not missionary work. I think there is there is something to be said about requiring cultural competency of everyone who works within the CPS dynamic. And I don't care what color you are either, right? Because we live in a society where we can and have practiced anti-Black, anti-Brown, anti-queer, anti-female behaviors because we grew up in a racist, patriarchal society. It's what it is. So that I think that we have to begin seeing the union as a partner because the union is, bread and butter is what it is. Wages and benefits is what it is. And will always be. You know, we need shelter, we need food, we need clothing. Um, Hell, we need to pay our student loans. All of those things are necessary and require a paycheck. And to see a union prioritize and lead with equity, it means something. And if you have people who are willing to partner with you on those things, why would you refuse? (laughs) So seeing that, and then amplifying student voice. Like being, like I'll tell you this, it is very hard to go into a classroom and believe that you are all knowing. I think you gotta release teachers from that perspective because you don't know a lot. I think for, for as many years as I stood in front of kids, they taught me more than I ever taught them. That's a fact, right? And so how do we institutionalize a teaching experience that doesn't make the teacher the keeper and the dispenser of all knowledge, right? That this is a shared experience. and Even the smallest kid can, 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 can be a partner in education. And then I would also like to see us figure out how to make parents more comfortable in our school environment. We do a crappy job at availing ourselves to the flexibility of parents who may have had negative experiences themselves in schools or who work, you know, obscene hours at work or who are suffering from X themselves and need more assistance. I would like to see, and I'll stop with this one, the Chicago Public Schools invest in sustainable community schools that anchor communities and that embrace the community and figure it out together. I think those are the things that like, I would love to see going.
0: And just to kind of end it all just more personal. Like what did you most like being a teacher? Like what were the best moments for you?
2: You know what I like, and this is so selfish. I like being young. Like I miss the energy. I miss the potential. I miss the, the truth, right? Cause kids tell you this lesson is dumb. I hate this stuff, you know. Like whatever is there, it comes out, you know, and you have to like sit with it. Sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it ain't. Whatever, but I miss, I miss the, I miss the energy, I miss the interaction, I miss, and I miss the honesty and the transparency. Like adults are masters of passive-aggressive behaviors and putting up roadblocks, but telling you that that's not what you're dealing with. The young people, you knew where you stood because they told you. I miss those things. I, I miss learning, new stuff. I miss being challenged in ways that set me like down and made me reflect on my heart, my my, my values, my perspective, who I was when I first started teaching in the Chicago Public Schools. And who I am now is so much different because of the experiences that I had. The, the the presumptions that I brought with me were wrong, you know? And I was taught. And I'm thankful for those lessons.
0: And welcome back. You are listening to Cruel Public Schooling. And that was an interview with Stacy Davis-Gates, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union. Just more on that, I really did enjoy this interview. I felt like I learned a lot and just really made it apparent about the importance of, you know, just unity in these terms and how, how as like a parent or a teacher or a student can speak out against, you know, just how ignorant decisions are being made and, just the importance of, you know, being participant in your community and all that. So, definitely, I think it was a really important interview and I really hope you enjoyed it. But this concludes the ending of CPS, and I am your host, Melissa. And yeah, I'll see you next time.
1: This was another episode of CPS Cruel Public Schooling. <laughs>